Hope everybody's doing okay. <laughs> it's good to see you guys. <clears throat> Go home to your friends. <laughs> it's okay, you can go down, it's fine. <laughs> They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, or some uh, some translations say Gerasenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one no one could bind him. Not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains, the chains had been pulled apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. <laughs> and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus... From afar, he ran and fell down before him, worshipped him. That's the word. It, it means to, to prostrate yourself, to lay yourself down in front of someone. That's what the word means. <clears throat> he ran and worshipped him. and He cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What's your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. That freak you out. <laughs> also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were, there were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that uh, what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then 
they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. He departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea, a common place to find him. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, or Jairus, Jairus probably, by name. When he saw him, he fell at his feet, and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Important line. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You, you see the multitude thronging you, and, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why, why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Don't be afraid. Believe. Only believe. He, per he permitted no one to follow him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a, a tumult, and those who, who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they were 
overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I am um, nervous. Um, I, uh, I want to be faithful to your word, and I want to be wise. I pray that you give uh, wisdom, <clears throat> that you would help us to hear you, and not just me. It's you that we need, Lord. It's you that we need. Would you, would you teach us to trust you, Lord? Would you teach us to have faith, I pray? Please teach us to believe you, Father. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, um, <clears throat> so we have three main stories that we're looking at today. And, um, and, and I have really been wrestling with uh, some of the some of the things from this uh, first one, and, and wrestling with uh, with my own heart and the way that I view um, the way that maybe the way I've been taught to view things um, almost immediately. And so I, I want to talk about it and hopefully be sensitive because uh, it's a pretty uh, fairly sensitive uh, topic, um, uh, while also being faithful to the scriptures and um, to the reality of the the world in which we live, and, um, and um, so anyhow, uh, we will uh, look at this first story here, uh, and, and then and then hopefully move on to the other two, uh, these two, um, let's say healings, but it was like Jairus' daughter who was sick, and then Jesus doesn't get there in time, and she dies. Um, you know, sometimes we don't ever think Jesus does what we want him to in time. And uh, so she dies. Uh, it's like the same thing happened with um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that whole scene. You know, they sent word to him and he purposely waited <laughs> in that one. He even says very directly that he didn't want to go down yet. And uh, and then he went um, a little bit later after Lazarus had died. So, um, but we'll look, at, we'll look at that. We'll look at the uh, story of the woman who was healed. Uh, from this um, this issue of blood, uh, I think it, without being too graphic, I think maybe you understand probably what, where this was where this was a problem. Okay, uh, I think that it's a, that, that's the idea that's being expressed in this story, and um, something that would have caused her to be uh, unclean this whole time, as far as a Jewish person goes. Um, there was a, the customary impurity time. <laughs> about once a month, uh, that was for, for the ladies, uh, where uh, anything they, anything a woman sat on, anywhere she laid, anything like that would itself become unclean. Keep in mind, this was before the days, days of like pads and tampons and things, obviously the way it would happen now, but um, there were specific regulations, most of them probably health-related, right? It makes sense. So, um, uh, But if this uh, became a continual issue. The law dealt with that as well, and essentially, uh, that woman would be, if it didn't stop, that woman would be uh, considered the same way as that customary impurity, except it would be all the time. Okay, uh, so, 
certainly she becomes something of a pariah uh, in the community because of this uh, this problem that she has. And, and we'll talk we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But uh, and, and really the main focus I want to look at today is the issue of faith. And uh, and, and I want to make sure we understand uh, at least as best I can what faith is, what it looks like, and that the word itself uh, is uh, means trust. Uh, to rely on something or someone uh, to have faith in it. And that's why faith is only as good as the thing in which you, you put it, right? Like faith is only as good. It's only good if you put it in something that itself is faithful, right? If you, if you trust in something that uh, breaks your trust, then it didn't matter how much faith you had in it because that thing wasn't wasn't faithful itself, wasn't able uh, to, uh, to accomplish whatever it said it would. So... Um, I want to explain to you some thoughts that I have had <laughs> as, we, as we look at this, the first part of the text here. And I'm going to try to be as clear as I can to explain to you what I'm not saying as well. Okay? Because I think that's really important. Uh, I, I don't want to be misunderstood, um, particularly as it relates to, because um, we're going to talk about a bit of behavioral psychology here um, when we look at this first guy. Uh, so... Anyhow, uh, let's look at the, first, the text again, and then we'll, um, uh, well, actually, before we look at the text, <laughs> let, let's, let's think about a couple of circumstances, and then we'll look at the text. Um, think about, uh, recently we read uh, in the story of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, we read how uh, um, King Nebuchadnezzar um, essentially said that he was like the greatest guy in the whole world. And his kingdom and everything was because he was a super awesome dude. Okay, and God said, "Well, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to humble you by driving you crazy, by making you look like and act like an animal for seven years." So, if we were to examine, um, if we were to examine that king uh, during that seven-year time period, why might we think he was acting the way that he was acting? Going around like an animal, letting his hair grow long, his nails grow long, crazy eating the grass. Why would we think he was acting that way? Immediately. What, what would we think, right? Um, I, I want you to answer this in your heart. Um, what would you think? What would I think? What would modern, um, the modern um, scientific community say about this guy? And... And is that frequently the... Because here's what I found. As I looked at this text, the thing that struck me immediately was that so often my immediate response to, to behavior has been conditioned more by my immediate thoughts about, about human behavior have been conditioned more by a materialistic, naturalistic, evolutionary worldview that it has with the reality of the scriptures. And I'm challenged to say... In, 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 this, in circumstances like these, what do I believe the real problem is? See, because there's a worldview that dominates, frankly, dominates much of our scientific community, and that worldview is rooted in, a, in, in, the, um, in the idea that there is nothing metaphysical, that there is nothing beyond the physical world, that the only things that exist are, are the things that we see and feel and touch and smell and, and, and all of that, things we can experience. Now, now, keep in mind, there are some parts of, please remember, there are some parts of the scientific community that try to deal specifically in metaphysical questions and quantum mechanics and other things, even beyond that, right? So, um, 
But, but by and large, the overarching worldview is that the only thing that exists is the material world. There is nothing beyond. There's no spirit. There are no angels. There, there are no miracles. That's the overarching worldview. And that everything happened and does happen by chance. By random synapses of electricity uh, in your brain. That's what thought is. And yet, somehow there's logic in a thought. How? How can something be logical and random? Or because of, um, and the other thing that we, we move to is that, because the question I have is, where do we draw the line? Because we, then we say, well, human behavior is, is all based in only a physical plane and nothing metaphysical and so it's always related only to synapses in the brain or to chemical issues somewhere in the body or somewhere in the brain that's the direction that we're immediately pushed in our modern scientific community but what about the king in Daniel's day who was driven mad for seven years what about King Saul who was tormented by a demon until David came and played for him and the demon We'll look at this. Uh, I want to look at the story. Uh, uh, please understand me. I'm going to try and be very clear about what I'm not saying to you in just a second. Okay? I just want you to. I want you to first consider um, consider a couple of things. Consider what our immediate response is to um, what we consider to be poor or antisocial or. Um, um, bad human behavior, what our immediate thoughts are about that. Um, and, and I think that maybe what we'll see is that frequently we've been very conditioned by a worldview that negates the reality of the metaphysical, that simply says there's nothing beyond the physical world. And so all of our responses are at once immediately material responses, physical responses to every issue. Now, again, I'm going to clarify um, a lot in just a second. But, um, let's look at the, this text here in, in Mark chapter 5. Um, okay. okay, I'm sorry. Let, one more thing before we get there. One. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, so Jesus said, um, it's out of the abundance of the heart that flow evil thoughts, adulteries, murders, wickedness. And every other, every other evil thing is out of the abundance of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we curse and we blaspheme. Paul would say in, in the book of Romans, Paul would say um, that he finds in his body a law of sin. And it's Jesus who sets him free from that. But that law of sin is what he's born with. that he was a slave to before Jesus rescued him, gave him the ability to be freed from the law of sin. So the question, some of the questions I ask myself is, where do we draw the line? When we look at human behavior and we say it's only, it's only because of these physical things, where is the line drawn? And who draws it? Who's the one who determines what that is? Is it, is murder an act of random electrical synapses in a person's mind that they can't control? Rape? 
torture? Where, where is the line? And who gets to decide what that is? Because for the most part, most of us probably still think those things people should be held accountable for, you know. But they're not because of random um, chance things, but they're, they're volitional acts, right? Jesus said that murder is rooted in anger in the heart. He said that adultery is rooted in lust in the heart. And what I'm trying to express is that it seems that that clear to me at least that, that the, there, are, there are certainly very different worldviews with which we approach these ideas. And, and I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful because I'm always asked this question, do I believe, do I believe the text that it's out of the heart that flow evil thoughts and wicked, wickedness and adultery and all of those things? And then, and then if that's the case, how, how do we handle them? How do we handle that stuff? What do we do with human behavior? Uh, uh, it was, it was uh, Richard Dawkins, who's a very famous um, and um, eloquent uh, evolutionary thinker and speaker, um, who just this past weekend, not this week, last weekend, uh, was musing about the ideas of eugenics and why eugenics would work with humans. Of course, he was highly criticized for that because uh, there have been experiments in the past that, that involved uh, eugenic ideas. Uh, and he was saying, I hate eugenics and it's all bad or whatever, but he was saying it would still work. Why? Because we're machines. Essentially, it's kind of what he's saying. The only thing that exists is the material world and therefore it would work because, you know, two of this breed would, would breed and they would make this quality person is the idea, right? So, and then we get rid of all the lower quality uh, parts in our, you know, um, genes, whatever, in our species. Because everything is material in his worldview, in his mindset, and therefore eugenics is very incredibly utilitarian, which is, which is always it's what works, right? What provides the best utility for us? Um, and then, of course, he was also amusing about the idea of uh, this same gentleman, Richard Dawkins, was also amusing me about the idea of uh, eating um, human meat. Um, now, now uh, he wasn't saying that we should take dead people and eat them. He was saying that we can produce in laboratories meat substances using human stem cells and consider eating that. But eating humans, eating human flesh is too taboo, he says, uh, because of uh, tradition and religion and other things like that. It's too taboo. You know. <laughs> But meat is meat, right? <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, humans just, we just, the happenstance, we just happened to come into play because of a bunch of accidents that happened at the incredibly perfect right time. Not only one, but two, obviously, at least for us to reproduce, at least be able to, the first couple to be able to reproduce that weren't asexual or whatever the, the idea is uh, in, in that uh, worldview, in that mindset. Let's look at the text uh, quickly, because because I want you to I want you to ask these questions. Please don't think that I'm saying I have all the answers. What I want you to do is ask the questions with me, and examine your heart, and and for us to be able to say together, uh, help us to be full of faith and wisdom, um, and 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 maybe not immediately default to a worldview that denies the existence of the metaphysical when we're dealing with human behavior. That, that's uh, at least some of the ideas I'm, I'm trying to suggest. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, 
some of the texts, a few of them say um, Gerasenes. Um, this was the area on the other side of the Jordan River. It would have been where uh, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh settled before they crossed into the Promised Land. So uh, Gadarenes is probably a, uh, a very cultural uh, name for the area because Gad would have been over on that side of the, the, um, the river and that side of the uh, Sea of Galilee. So when he had, verse 2, when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Stop right there real quickly. Matthew says there were two men. Uh, Mark says a guy came out of a tomb. Keep in mind that Mark's gospel is high speed. He summarizes a lot of things. Some people have looked at this and be like, well, the Bible is contradictory because Matthew says two people were there. Listen, if there were two people there, there were at least how many? There was at least one, right? <laughs> okay. It's it's not a contradiction at all. It's just a sort of a summary of the circumstances that are happening here. So clearly there was at least one if there were two, right? <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, moving on, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And I mean, listen to the description of this guy, and then ask yourself this question: What would, how would we view this man now? What would we say is his problem from a behavioral psychological standpoint? How would we diagnose this guy, right? Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind. Him, not even with chains. Listen to what they tried to do. They tried to incarcerate the guy because he had been been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him. I mean, this guy was like Superman at this point, right? Some kind of abnormal strength involved in this deal, right? You see some of those guys on um, some of the guys, like you watch the um, some of the, those uh, live PD shows and stuff like that. Some of the guys when they're on some pretty serious drugs, man. Like, their bodies are capable of doing a lot more than you realize. You know, I think like eight guys to hold this little scrawny dude down. Whatever. Um, but anyhow, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying this guy was on drugs. I'm just, 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 a, just a similar uh, deal that um, of what, what they dealt with. So, And the chains have been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. No one could control him, is the idea. And always... Night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs. Listen to this final description. Crying out, just screaming out, and cutting himself with stones. Now stop right there for a second and ask yourself this. Let's think about this. All of this stuff still happens. All of it. This text was written, was written almost 2,000 years ago. Before we move on, I want to make sure you understand what I'm not about. What I'm not about to tell you. I am not about to say that every behavioral problem is is caused by demonic control directly. Please don't misunderstand me. <laughs> Please do not think that's what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. This problem was. And the issue that I'm trying to address is the reality that sometimes we don't ever think there's something metaphysical involved. That's the problem that I have. It's not that not that that there may or may not be you know demonic issues or spiritual issues in something. Uh, think also of this. Um, even sometimes with physical things. Think of Ananias and Sapphira who went and lied to the Holy Spirit there in the early part of the book of Acts, and they were just struck down dead. 
why? What? What we look at as the cause of that, right? I mean, did Peter have like a knife behind his back and just stab him or something? <laughs> He'd be guilty of murder, right? It just says they fell down dead. Think of Think of um, think of Paul when he's writing to the church at Corinth and he says to them, and this is real vital for us today, by the way. And he writes to them and he says, some of you Christians in the church of Corinth, some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and some have fallen asleep, have died, because you did not give worth to this table. to the broken body and the shed blood at the table when we gather together. Well, that's not, that's not a physical thing. That's incredibly spiritual. I mean, listen, there's nothing magical about these crackers. <laughs> there's no magic involved in this grape juice here, okay? <laughs> I didn't, you know, if you guys are, I didn't load anything with penicillin or anything, you know, it's like, not if you have like some kind of uh, bacterial issue or something like I just <laughs> it's, it's not gonna work like that but it, but it becomes a point of, of contact a point of, of meeting the reality of our faith which is something that we see with this woman because she said if I can only touch the hem of his robe you understand there was nothing magical about the hems of Jesus robe that he wore you realize that right there was no magic involved in that but he knew that some power had gone out from him and this woman was healed. Everybody was touching him. There were crowds thronging him. But she touched him in faith. And her faith resulted in her being healed. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Then. Some of you are sick. Some are weak. Some have died. Because of the way that we've treated the, the, the table. That's fascinating, but we can't look at that. I've got to really examine that and say, what's my default reaction to the way that I handle everything, you know, stuff that happens in my life? I'm learning, really maybe ashamedly, that much of it is conditioned by a worldview that doesn't even believe there's a God. clarify some things I'm not saying in just a second here. But, um, for he said to him, oh, let's look back at the text. Um, when he saw Jesus, this man who was crying out and cutting himself with stones, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. I don't want you to be confused by that. You might be like, oh man, he's worshipping Jesus. Okay. It's the word, the way it's translated. It needs to fall down in front of somebody. It's the literal definition of this word. It needs to fall down in front of somebody. Okay. So that's what happens. This guy sees Jesus, he runs and falls down in front of him. Maybe indeed it was an act of worship with whatever control this guy had, still had of his life, right? But he didn't have a whole lot of control, which is what, when we talk about the idea of demonic possession, really the idea, uh, the scriptural idea is one of control, is one of being influenced or controlled by spiritual forces, by, by demonic forces. A third of the angels rebelled against God, so um, for every one demon, if you would, there are two good angels, <laughs> two good messengers that are still uh, obeying uh, God in, in that uh, good way, in that very direct uh, sense. Um, we're going to note a couple of peculiar things about this as we go through it. 
this guy comes and he, he runs and he worships Jesus. He falls down in front of him and he, uh, he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not, uh, that you do not torment me. So, immediately. It's interesting what's said here. I implore you. What have I to do with you? It's singular at this point. Now, Jesus, Jesus is going to ask these demons to identify themselves, and they're going to say, Legion, because we have many. It's a lot of them. There were 2,000 pigs that they all got cast into. So, like, if there was, like, a demon per pig, if we want to think of it that way, there's at least 2,000 demons. Like, that's rocks my world, man. That's great, right? That's crazy, right? Um, he said to him, um, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God, I implore you by God that you do not torment me for. He said to him, come out of the man unclean spirit. So when he said, come out of the man unclean spirit, um, the response, it seems, was, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. A couple of things noted here. One is that the demons know that torment is their lot. I implore you, my God, don't torment me. Jesus said, Come out of the man with a clean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And at this point, I imagine his head spun fully around. You guys are just an exorcist, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's the. Uh, right? Hollywood makes things all wild, right? But, like, this would be terrifying to, to me. Now, uh, Jesus made all the angels, including the ones who were bound. So, he knows it. My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. So, they wouldn't even send them into another place out of that country. I guess that was where they wanted to work. I don't know if that's about. Immediately, I'm struck with this reality, though, and this is what I want to present to you among the things that we've discussed. This man's problem that resulted in him breaking out of these chains, being a wild man, living in the tombs and in the in the cemetery, essentially, with um, <clears throat> and cutting himself, all of this, it was entirely a spiritual problem. <clears throat> The thing that I'm afraid of right now is that so many of us have been conditioned to reject the metaphysical that we never consider that there's a spiritual problem. Because we've, we've all been taught, at least most of us have been taught to immediately reject the idea of the metaphysical world. There's a world beyond electrical synapses and chemical makeups. Now, verse 11, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Stop right there for a sec. A couple things I want you to consider. Look at the story. They asked for permission for their next move. Even the demons believe and tremble before God. I'm ashamed that too frequently I don't. 
<clears throat> they ask for permission. They uh, receive that permission. All the demons begged them, saying, Send us to the swine. So they entered them, and at once Jesus gave the permission, and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. As I've told you guys before, this is the first recorded instance of Devil Ham that we know of. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those pastor's jokes. You just have to say it. Okay, it's like it's on a checklist that I have for how to be a pastor. So. <laughs> um, so here's what I want you to see. I want you. Here's another thing I want you to consider. It's my opinion. Do you hear me? Do you hear that? That means you can fully disagree with this and be wrong if you want. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you disagree with it, and, and, and it's what it is, it doesn't matter. It's my opinion that this is what the demons wanted to do with that man. This is what they were after. That he had him so far as even cutting himself. <clears throat> but, but obviously, pigs don't have the same faculty that humans have. <laughs> right? We're a very different creature, very different creation even though the world in which we live in and its worldview says otherwise, we are very different than the rest of the animal kingdom. Anybody that denies that is simply just being ignorant. They're just ignoring the facts. <laughs> We're quite different than the rest of the animal kingdom. No matter how close the size of our brain is to some other animal. <laughs> okay. Or whatever the comparisons are, we are still vastly different, right? No other animal has done what we have done and do. Not even close. Okay. These pigs all ran violently down the steep place and it seemed drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. This is my favorite part. They saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. I know that. Like, it's so easy to gloss over that. But if you're that guy, if you're that dude, and, and really in one sense or another, I think that's probably true of all of us, to one degree or another. Before we trusted him, we were out there. <laughs> And, and he rescued us. And he still does it. Yeah, they saw him sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And the only logical thing they could come to was to be afraid. <laughs> this terrified them. But this wild man. You see, and I think in a lot of ways this would also terrify much of the scientific community. <laughs> Terrifying to consider the idea that there's more in the world than just the material. That's a terrifying concept to, to a people who has said, all that matters is what I see with my eyes. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You made a rhyme. Look at that. <laughs> and those were 16. Those who saw it told them how it happened, how it had uh, how it happened to those who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. They loved those piggies. Their response to this whole scene was to ask Jesus and his entourage to leave. 
we don't know exactly why it's been speculated that you know this this um, these pigs may have been their livelihood, and so now these other livelihood is dead and gone. And of course, this would arouse anger and other things, and they want them to leave because of that. It's all speculation. Uh, we don't know exactly what their motivation was. It doesn't say it. only that their response was to say, "We don't even want you here. Just leave." And when he got into the boat, verse 18, uh, when Jesus got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed uh, begged him that he might be with him. So this guy wants to become a disciple now. He wants to stay with Jesus. Certainly, if you're the guy who had the demons cast out, all the pigs run into the sea, everybody's like, you guys need to leave, right? You have the whole village and town and areas, like, you guys need to leave. I'm sure this guy now is going to be like, I want to go with you guys. I want to stay here with these people. <laughs> you know, and that's what he says. He says, I want to go with you that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis, that's the ten cities, uh, a region there on that side of the Sea of Galilee, um, a very Greek-populated city. He departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all Marvel. So this guy now becomes a missionary for Jesus in that area, which is just amazing to me, because everybody in Israel, in back across the other side of the sea, that Jesus healed and did all these miracles for, usually his response was, shh, don't tell anybody. Right? Because it was a particular place he was moving to, to, to get to the cross. And, and, and it was all according to plan. And that's the thing I want you to see in all of this, too, is that everything that's happening is not a surprise to him. It's not a mystery. It's being directed. And, and I, I'm afraid that sometimes we forget that every day in our own life. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You don't lean on your own understanding. And, and he will direct your steps. He will direct your path. That's a challenge for me. It's so, it's so easy. It's much easier for me to lean on what I think I know. Yeah. Anyways. Um, go home to your friends tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you and you departed and began to proclaim the capitalist all that Jesus has done for him as you read and all marveled um, really quickly a couple things I want to say here One of the, here's something I'm not saying as we go through this and I ask these questions here's what I'm not saying I am not saying that there is no benefit to medicine or the medical community <laughs> if you think I'm saying that you aren't hearing me God made everything, including all of the elements that we have been able to use and take and find that when we put them in our bodies, it produces certain results to things, okay? I'm not denying that reality. The thing I'm challenging is the fact that sometimes I'm afraid uh, we're quick to think only of physical responses to issues that sometimes could be something else. That's all. And so maybe... If nothing else, let's say, let's root what we're doing in prayer. Sometimes our confidence is too great in the things of the world. So I'm afraid of. Other thing is this. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Wouldn't it be amazing that, you know, instead of um, us spending, <laughs> instead of us spending $15,000 to um, uh, ship a group of 15 of us uh, to Africa uh, for a week, um, wouldn't it be amazing to just give $15,000 to a community in Africa? What do you think they could do with that? Instead of paying for our travel expenses so we can be the ones there. 
so we can feel good about ourselves because we did something for the poor people. We can exploit them for our own happiness. I'm just asking a question, okay? Please don't think that I'm like, well, Jason doesn't think we should ever go anywhere else to help anybody. No, 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 I'm saying, here's what I'm saying. If you're waiting to go do your ministry when you fly to South America or to Africa or to whatever, you're missing the point of the great news. Listen, go tell your friends. There's tons of people in our city that we can help, okay? You don't need to fly somewhere else, okay? Let's let's work with the poor in our community. Let's work with let's work with the, the, the needy in our community. Let's let's work in, in areas that that our our society as a whole maybe is failing or that we're trying to force things by having the government do everything for us, <laughs> and then we complain about how much taxes we pay. Well, we're not taking care of anybody, so like the government's like, well, somebody's gotta take care of people, so we're gonna tax you more to take care of them because you're not doing it on your own. The person who doesn't take care of those of his family, especially those of his own household, is worse than an unbeliever, Paul In a lot of circumstances, particularly with um, poverty and other things, a lot of circumstances are rooted in, in sometimes in communities and families that have just refused to help each other because of bitterness and anger and resentment. And a lot of a lot of helping people out of poverty frequently is helping to restore relationships with it, with their community, with their people. But that takes time, it takes work. And it takes us doing it ourselves, right? <laughs> Considering each other, uh, thinking about all that stuff. So, uh, real quickly, we'll finish. He departed and began to proclaim in the capitals all that Jesus had done. Verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she will live. Stop right there real quickly. I'm going to preface this with this idea. Jairus was willing to believe that as long as his daughter was sick, Jesus had the power to heal her and that she would live. He had that much faith. He had enough faith to believe that even though she was sick, Jesus had enough power to heal her so that she wouldn't die, so that she would live. That's where he was now. Jesus then... Um, we might think of this as an understood agreement that Jesus is going to heal her because he's going, right? So he begins to go, he begins to travel with him, uh, as we read. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. The idea, uh, the idea at least that I take from that, is that the expectation is that Jesus is following him because he's going to heal her. I think that's what would be assumed at this point, right? So, um, so he follows, he went with him, a great multitude followed him and thronged him, right? Bunch of people are all around him, pressing about him, swarming Jesus as he's traveling, as he's walking now. That's important to the next part of the story. Now, a certain woman, I don't know who this certain woman was, but Mark makes the point of saying it was a particularly a certain woman. A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. That sounds horrible. I just, I have never had that. <laughs> not even like in a normal sense you know I, I can't even imagine all of this sounds horrifying to me okay <laughs> she had a flow of blood for 12 years 
and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, because she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made. Well, this was a statement that she made to herself, one of faith. If I can just touch his, his garment, I know that it will be enough. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him. There's this incredible spiritual reality that as we're serving the Lord um, and, and giving out of, of um, really of spiritual power to the people around us as we're serving and helping and doing ministry by, by helping, even in our families, that, that there's, there's a real, um, something that really happens, a real transference, if you will. He knew that power had gone out. That power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? The disciples are like, What are you? What? What? Everybody's around you, and you're like, Who touched me? What's going on, Jesus? He's, they're totally confused by this question. He looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, Your, please listen, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. There's this reality to us being a people who trust God. The reality to, to the idea of, of power being, of, of receiving power in that way. And, and, and please don't, don't misunderstand what I mean by that too. That is power to obey, power for to do good. Sometimes power to see someone healed. Sometimes ourselves. He said to her daughter, "Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction." While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, "Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further?" At that moment, my heart would sink. I would just be crushed. 12-year-old daughter is dead. Jesus was on his way, but he didn't make it in time. Sometimes we think that Jesus doesn't make it in time in our situations, too. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid. Guys, that's heavy when you've just been told that your daughter is dying. And maybe you believe, like this man, that if Jesus had gotten there while she was sick, that she could be healed, and she wouldn't die. But Jesus has come with a purpose. He's moving this, he, he knew what was happening, he went this direction on purpose. Do not be afraid, only believe, and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult, and those who wept and wailed loudly. This would be a common... Um, morning party, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, <laughs> morning. They, you could hire professional mourners, uh, family frequently would. And the idea was to show, the way we do this now is by spending tons of money on like caskets and tons of money on gravestones and all that stuff. It's their way of honoring the dead, of showing how much you care, how much you love them. Was You would hire these group, this group of people and they would make this big show, this big demonstration of crying and wailing because 
it, it shows how much that, that person was cared for, how much that person was, was loved, is the idea. And we, we kind of mimic something similar to that now. But uh, They were there, saw tumult, and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. I just and they ridiculed him but when he put them all outside he took the father and the mother and the child and those who were with him and he entered where the child was lying I just everybody laughed at him because what he was saying didn't make sense to them I just the the, the world the, the metaphysical world just doesn't make sense to those who won't believe and sometimes it results in people laughing at you or mocking you. Somebody listening to me that, that denies the, the reality of the metaphysical, listening to me now and what I've shared with you today, will, will, would mock me and say, no, 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 everything there is just physical stuff, and it's all just, just random chemical reactions and random electrical impulses. That's all that dictates human reality and human life. But you and I, every one of us knows instinctively that that is not true. It cannot be true. It doesn't account for logic. It doesn't account for anything making sense. You know, we find that things do. They're not random. Our thoughts aren't random. They ridiculed him. When he put them all outside, he took the father and the mother, the child and those who were with him, and they entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. I like how these two stories are coupled together. The flow, the woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and this little 12-year-old girl was sick and died. And Jesus brought her back from death. She was resuscitated. That's the language that uh, I like, that I prefer to use when we talk about Jesus raising the dead here. Because the resurrection from the dead speaks of an, an, an event that is that um, that life then never ends. This person was resuscitated; they were brought back from the dead. But, but this body she was in would probably still die again, right? Is the idea? Um, Talitha Kumi, he said, "Little girl, rise." Immediately the girl arose as we read and walked. She was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly. They're back in Israel now. <laughs> he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. Jesus isn't dictated by the things that dictate our world, guys. He's not ruled by the motivations and the desires and the things that rule the world that we live in. He's got a different plan, and that plan is to obey the will of his Father only. I only do those things I see my Father do, Jesus would say in John's Gospel. Uh, he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. <laughs> That's a very practical... Man, you need to feed her. I just resuscitated her. <laughs> She's back from the dead. Feed the girl. <laughs> it also says she got up and walked. See that? That's... You know, we would think of this person and being on the deathbed in the hospital and they need to be connected to machines and all sorts of stuff for days, weeks, months. And she got up and walked. This is shocking, this reality. So I'm challenged in a couple of ways. Uh, one is this, in conclusion. One, one is this. Uh, 
I'm challenged in the way that I immediately respond to um, situations around me and, and uh, whether or not I respond to them immediately with a mindset or a worldview that is more in line with unbelieving, materialistic, naturalistic worldview than with one that, that trusts that there is something beyond the natural world. And I say beyond the natural world, but that's really, that's really not correct. Just because something isn't seen doesn't mean it's actually beyond the natural world, right? The metaphysical world is, is indeed part of the natural world. It just can't be seen and measured. And so therefore, in a materialistic worldview, because it is immaterial, it's seen as unnatural or not natural or beyond the natural world. But it's not really. Um, so uh, Hebrews 11 says faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen for by it the fathers obtained a good testimony by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible amazing that was written 2000 years ago almost 2000 years ago by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous God testifying with his gifts and through it he being dead still speaks by faith Enoch was taken away so that he didn't see faith and was not found because God had taken him for excuse me, for before he was taken he had this testimony that he pleased God but without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, with the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and, uh, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the, num- as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a real homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. That was their homeland. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, and because they saw he was a beautiful child, 
and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of the Messiah greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the fact that he sat down is so good, because it means the work is done. That's where we stand now. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would teach us to trust you and to rely on the strength of the one who raised the dead, who stopped the flow of blood, the one who opened the eyes of the blind, the one who healed the demoniac and cast those demons out. Lord. So often we, we immediately forget, just forget. But there are so many things at play in the world around us, and many of them we can't see. Lord, would you teach us to trust you? Please. Teach us to trust you and pray, and to walk by faith. Please do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, if you guys would um, come.